Hello and welcome to today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm your reader, Martha Avery, and here is our first story from the front page. Tyson naming rights deal is forever. The Tyson Event Center will have 200000 less in its operating budget annually going forward due to a never-ending naming rights deal struck 20 years ago. Tyson paid $4 million for the naming rights in 2001. Since 200000 of that $4 million has been allocated to Tyson's operating budget each fiscal year for the past 20 years, all of that naming rights money has been used up. Uh, OVG360's Nick Palmiotti, who serves as the Tyson Event Center and Orpheum Theater General Manager, told the journal that Tyson owns the naming rights to the 10,000-seat city-owned venue forever. Tyson owns the naming rights in perpetuity. They own the naming rights of the building forever, said Palmiato, who noted Tyson has completed its financial obligation as part of the naming rights deal. The venue's naming rights was brought up during last week's City Council Operating Budget Study Session. During the day-long budget review, Mayor Bob Scott asked City staff to look at the naming rights agreements, which he said was never meant to be forever. City Manager Bob Padmore responded that staff continue to work on it and have met once with Tyson. You can't find an arena in America that has lifetime naming rights. You can't show me another deal other than this one, Scott said. In the summer of 2022, Seaboard's Triumph Foods inked a 1.1 million 15-year naming rights agreement for what was the Siouxland Expo Center. The 100,000-square-foot multi-purpose facility, is now called the Seaboard Triumph Food Expo Center. That agreement included a new name and logo, branding integration throughout the center, and other internal signage. Palmiati told council members he believes there may be a path forward to try and rectify the Tyson Events Center naming rights situation. He told the journal he didn't have much to add about any discussions with Tyson. We have had very, very initial discussions about what the future could potentially look like, Palmiati said, but I don't have any further detail beyond that. The proposed fiscal year 2025 operating budget for the Tyson Event Center is $1.9748 million down from $218 million, which was approved for fiscal year 2024. It will certainly impact the operating budget. The budget we submitted to the City Council takes into account that change in revenue, Palmiati told the journal. It will certainly have an impact because the funding is no longer there. Oakview Group, formerly Spectra, 
took over booking, marketing, staffing, and food and beverage service at the Tyson and Orpheum in January 1st, 2018, after the council voted to privatize the Tyson's operations. OVG 360 is a division of Oakview Group. OVG 360 is requesting $1,279,215 in the next budget year for management of the Tyson and Orpheum, up from an improved $1,094,394 in fiscal year 2024, and down from an actual $2,181,000 in fiscal year 2023. The length of naming rights deals previously questioned. Before the Tyson Event Center was built, local elected officials were firmly against taxpayers footing the bill for a larger arena. However, by the late 1990s, replacing the dilapidated 4,600-seat municipal auditorium, now known as Long Lines Family Rec Center, had gained momentum. The big break came in 2000 when then-Governor Tom Vilsack signed legislation that established a new state infrastructure program called Vision Iowa. By borrowing against future state gambling revenues, the state created a $300 million fund to help communities build big-ticket cultural and entertainment attractions that would drive more tourism. The late Marvin Berenstein, a prominent Sioux City attorney and member of the inaugural Vision Iowa board, played a major role in securing the $21 million grant the Vision Iowa board awarded in May of 2001 for Sioux City's $70 million River, River's Edge project. River's Edge was comprised of the 52 million Tyson Event Center, 11 million Ground Transportation Center downtown, and $3.5 million Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center along the Missouri River. The Vision Iowa Board grant was contingent on local officials coming up with an additional $8 million within 90 days. The first $1 million came from the then Argosy Sioux City Riverboat Casino revenues. Within a matter of days, all the remaining dollars were secured, most from local business owners. The largest pledge, $4 million, in naming rights was made by then IBP Inc. CEO and Chairman Bob Peterson over a glass of scotch. At Peterson's home, Berenstein sealed the deal with his longtime client and friend. Palmiotti said he wants the public to know how much Tyson's involvement in the arena is appreciated. He said the building wouldn't be there without Tyson. We very much appreciate their commitment and everything they've put into this building over the 20 years, he said. Scott isn't the only elected official to ever question the length of the Tyson's, Tyson Event Center naming rights deal. According to previous journal reporting, then-Councilman 
Tom Padgett was asking similar questions back in 2012 when the city was mulling the purchase of a new marquee for the venue's parking lot. Padgett wanted to know whether the city had to continue using the Tyson Food logo if it bought a new marquee. He also asked, does Tyson get to keep use of the logo in perpetuity? Sorry, perpetually? Paul Eckert, who was city manager at the time, told Padgett the logo stays. Tyson gets to have its name emblazoned on everything from the outdoor marquees to employees' uniforms under the terms of the deal. The term is for the life of the facility, Eckert said. Another front page story. Cleaning service accused of using underage workers in Sioux City meat plant. Federal regulators are seeking federal court action against a Tennessee-based company it alleges employed child workers to clean equipment at Sioux City's Seabird Triumph Foods Pork Plant. The U.S. Department of Labor filed the Wednesday, seeking a nationwide temporary restraining order and injunction against Fayette Janitorial Service from illegally employing children while the department continues to investigate its labor practices. A hearing has been scheduled for March 4th in the U.S. District Court in Sioux City. The Labor Department believes Fayette employed at least nine children on its overnight sanitation shifts at Seaboard. It said its court filings in court filings that Fayette employs minors under age 16 at the plant during overnight shifts to work more than three hours a day and more than 18 hours a week while school is in session. Children under age 18 were tasked with cleaning power-driven machines such as meat and bone cutting saws, head splitters, job pullers, and skinners. The Fair Labor Standards Act bans children under age 18 from working in dangerous occupations, including most jobs in meatpacking and processing plants. Federal laws were established decades ago to prevent employers from profiting from the employment of children in dangerous jobs, yet we continue to find employers exploiting children. Jessica Luman, the Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division Administrator, said in a news release, As we've unfortunately seen in this case, employers' violations of federal child laws have real consequences on children's lives. Our actions to stop these violations will help ensure that more children are not hurt in the future. In response to the allegations, Seaboard has terminated all contracts with Fayette, the company said in a release statement. We were disturbed to learn of the allegations filed by the Department of Labor against an outside vendor, Fayette Janitorial Services, relating to its alleged appointment of possible underage workers. 
Fayette is a third-party vendor that just recently began providing sanitation services at the Sioux City plant in September of 2023, Seabird said. Such practices of an outside vendor, if true, are in violation of our company's policies and procedures, which hold the safety and care of our workers in the highest regard. We will continue to fully cooperate with the Department of Labor on this matter. The Wage and Hour Division, or WHD, received an anonymous complaint on September 29th about children cleaning the Seabird plant. On October 18th, investigators conducted overnight surveillance at the plant and witnessed several workers who appeared to be minors. November 16th, WHD executed a search warrant at the plant, touring parts of its touring parts of it during the overnight sanitation shift, documenting working conditions and interviewing employees of Fayette, which had begun providing sanitation services at the plant on September 15th. Investigators observed Fayette workers dressed in hard hats, safety glasses, rubber gloves, and other protective gear hosing down equipment, then washing it by hand with chemicals and soap before rinsing. Cleaners worked under, around, between, and on top of running wet equipment while cleaning. Investigators reported heavy mist and steam causing low visibility and making it hard to see equipment and witnessed workers reaching inside the machinery to check for animal parts. Floors were slippery from the combination of water, fat, and meat. By reviewing personnel files, employment applications, and badge photos provided by Fayette, the com and comparing them to the subpoenaed school records from local school districts, WHD investigators determined Fayette employed nine minor children, two 14-year-olds, one 15-year-old, one 16-year-old, and five 17-year-olds. Four minor children still worked at the plant as of December 12th, according to court documents. One of the minor children workers told investigators they work five or six days a week and cleaning running machines that cut out hams and take out bones. Another child cleaned a machine that cuts off the hog's ears. One of the children claimed to be 33 years old. Another claimed to be 26. In its request for the temporary restraining order, the Labor Department asked that Fayette be enjoined from employing child workers, refusing to provide information to investigators, discouraging workers from talking to the Labor Department, and retaliating against workers who do. The Labor Department also says Fayette employed 15 children workers at the Purdue Farms plant in Virginia. According to the Labor Department of Labor news release, Fayette provides contract sanitation and cleaning services for meat and poultry processing plants in about 30 states and employs more than 600 workers. Iowa House OK's 3% school funding increase. Des Moines. 
Iowa's funding for K-12 schools would increase by $147 million under a bill Iowa Republicans passed out of the House on Thursday. The bill, House File 2613, sets the growth rate for supplemental state aid, the money the state pays to school districts, at 3% for the 2024-25 school year. The increase would amount to a $229 increase per student, bringing the per pupil spending from the state to $7,864. The increase would bring the total K-12 spending from the state's general fund to around $3.8 billion. The bill was passed by majority Republicans, largely along party lines 60 to 36. Republican Representative Brian Lowe of Bondurant joined Democrats in voting against the bill. Republicans said the bill's plan is sustainable and would provide budget stability for the schools. Democrats decried the bill as a de facto cut to school funding and said it would cause cuts to staff, programs, and services. Iowa Senate lawmakers have not settled on a number that they will propose to boost school funding. Senate Republicans have advanced a shell bill that does not include a funding increase. Since Republicans gained full control of the legislature in 2017, they've increased school funding by an average of 2% each year, according to the data from the Legislative Services Agency. The legislature passed a 3% increase in school funding last year. House Republicans have also proposed a bill that would be that would increase pay for starting teachers to $50,000 over 2 years and boost pay for paraeducators and other school support staff. Democrats asked for a 6% boost. House Democrats called the 3% increase in school funding insufficient to keep up with the rising costs at school. Representative Sharon Sue Steckman, a Democrat from Mason City, proposed an amendment to increase the state's public school funding to 6% or around $294 million. Democrats said the higher increase would allow schools to keep up with rising wages, increasing costs, and help them fund vital programs like work-based learning. With a 3% increase, they warned schools would not be able to rehire teachers and would have fewer offerings with larger class size. Their wages have not kept pace with the economy because the school funding has not kept pace with the economy. So more and more are working additional jobs just to make ends meet, said Representative Monica Kurth, Democrat Davenport. Democrats compared the funding increase to the amount of the state. Uh, let's see. Let me start that again. Democrats compared the funding increase to the amount the state will spend this year on private school savings accounts, which Republican lawmakers approved last year. 
The program allows families to take the state's full per pupil allocation for their students and spend them on private school tuition. Around 16,750 students used an education savings account for the current school year for an estimated cost of $127.3 million. By year four, when every family will be eligible regardless of income, the program is expected to cost $345 million annually, according to estimates from the Legislative Services Agency. Private school enrollment increased 7.4% during this school year to 36,195. Public school enrollment dropped by half a percent to 483,699. Since there are fewer than 45,000 private school students in the state, getting about 300 million dollars over a couple years, the least we can do is give that much to our public schools, said House Minority Leader Jennifer Confrist, Democrat from Windsor Heights. So we were very disappointed that Republicans chose not to engage in this conversation and have concerns about where we finally ended up. Republicans SSA boost part of larger package. Republicans noted on Thursday they are pushing for a separate bill that would increase the starting school starting teacher salary to fifty thousand over two years and increase pay for paraprofessionals. House Speaker Pat Grassley of New Hartford said the bill was part of a global package on school funding. We wanted to make sure that we give schools flexibility with the state supplemental aid, at the same time recognizing we need to put more money to paraeducators and teacher paraeducation and teacher pay, Grassley said. Responding to accusations that Republicans were prioritizing private school students, Republican Representative Phil Thompson of Boone said private school and public school students receive the same level of funding. We have consistently delivered steady increases and SSA, which is the state supplemental aid, to the tune of nearly a billion dollars in the last decade. Thompson said, this is my sixth year here. This is the sixth time, sixth time that, I ha- that I get to vote for the sustainable increase in SSA, something I'm very proud of. Now for a little global news. Ceasefire back on table. Mediators report some signs of progress as U.S. envoy visits Israel. In the Middle East, Jerusalem. International efforts to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas appeared to gain new momentum Thursday as the White House said a visit by a senior envoy with Israeli leaders was going well 
and other mediators reported encouraging signs from the warring parties. The new signs of progress came ahead of a summit this weekend in Paris, where mediators are expected to offer a new proposal. The U.S., Egypt, and Qatar have struggled for weeks to find a formula that could halt Israel's devastating offensive in Gaza, but now face an unofficial deadline as the Muslim holy month of Ramadan approaches. White House Mideast Envoy Brett McGurk held talks throughout the day with Israeli leaders and families of Israeli hostages held by Hamas. Spokesperson John Kirby said the talks were constructive. The initial indications we're getting from Brett are these discussions are going well, Kirby said. A Western diplomat involved in the efforts said both sides want a pause. What we have heard from our partners is that they are willing to give concessions, she said, speaking on condition of anonymity to discuss closed-door diplomacy. Time is pressing them. In new fighting, Israel, Israeli strikes killed more than 70 people in southern and central Gaza, Palestinian health officials said Thursday. In the Israeli-occupied West Bank, three Palestinian gunmen opened fire on morning traffic Thursday at a highway checkpoint, killing one man and wounding five others, Israeli police said. Israel declared war after Hamas militants stormed across the border October 7th. An estimated 1,200 people, mostly civilians, died during the raid, and militants took 250 people captive, according to Israeli authorities. The Israeli military response has left more than 29,000 Palestinians dead, caused widespread destruction, displaced an estimated 80% of Gaza's population, and fueled a humanitarian disaster. About half of the hostages were released during a week-long ceasefire in November. About 100 hostages remain in captivity in addition to the bodies of 30 others. Israel demands the release of the remaining hostages as part of any pause, but has vowed to press ahead with the offensive until Hamas's military and governing capabilities are destroyed. Hamas wants an end to the war, a full withdrawal of troops, and the release of thousands of Palestinian prisoners that Israel is holding. Technology, Google suspends new AI chat box feature. Google said Thursday it has temporarily stopped its Gemini artificial intelligence chat box from generating images of people a day after apologizing for inaccuracies in historical depictions it created. Gemini users this week posted screenshots of social media of historically white-dominated scenes with racially diverse characters they say it generated, leading critics to raise questions about whether the company is overcorrecting for the risk of racial bias in its AI model. 
Previous studies have shown AI image generators can amplify racial and gender stereotypes found in their training data, and without filters are more likely to show lighter-skinned men when asked to generate a person in various contexts. Navalny Mom, officials want burial to be secret. U.S. Justice Department arrests and indicts Russian businessmen. The mother of Russia's late opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, said Thursday that she has seen her son's body and that she is resisting strong pressure by authorities to agree to a secret burial outside the public eye. Ludmilla Navalny said investigators allowed her to see her son's body in the city morgue. She said she reaffirmed the demand to give Navalny's body to her and protested what she described as authorities trying to force her to agree to a secret burial. Navalny's spokesman, Kira Yarmish, said on social media that his mother was also shown a medical certificate stating that the 47-year-old politician died of natural causes. Yarmus didn't specify what those were. Across the ocean in San Francisco, U.S. President Joe Biden met with Navalny's widow, Yulia Navalny, and 20-year-old daughter, Dasha, and expressed condolences for their devastating loss. Meanwhile, the Justice Department announced a series of arrests and indictments Thursday against Russian businessmen and their facilities, facilitators in five separate federal cases that span New York, Florida, Georgia, and the District of Columbia. You are listening to the Sioux City Journal on IRS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I am your reader, Martha Avery. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now for some sports. Pirates Ace Cashes In. Keller to sign 77 million deal. Mets shut down all-star pitcher Senga. One National League all-star right-hander is getting the biggest contract ever for a Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher, and another is expected to miss the start of the season for the New York Mets. Mitch Keller and the Pirates have agreed to a new $77 million five-year contract, according to an AP source. The deal is pending a physical and not final. The new contract will begin this season and replace a $5,442,500 one-year agreement reached last month. The 27-year-old Keller likely will make his second opening day start in a row for Pittsburgh. Keller is coming off a career year in which he led Pirates starters in wins 13, 
ERA 4.21, WHIPs 1.25, innings pitched 194 and one-third, and set a franchise record for strikeouts in the season by a righty, 210, and tied for most starts, 32. He was a first-time all-star like Mets right-hander Cody I. Senga. Senga was shut down at the Mets camp and likely will start the season on the injured list because of a shoulder strain. Mets president of baseball operations, David Stearns, said Thursday that an MRI was done after Senga twice expressed having shoulder fatigue following throwing sessions in camp. Stearns described the strain in the back of the pitcher's right shoulder as moderate. Uniform debacle. MLB's new uniform reveal hasn't gone very well. Now the rampant criticism has moved below the belt. Major League Baseball Player Association Deputy Executive Director Bruce Meyer confirmed on Thursday that the organization is relaying concerns from players to MLB about the new pants, which are somewhat see-through. The complaints, first reported on ESPN, are part of the broader scorn for the new uniforms. Commissioner Rob Manfred previously said he expects criticism to fade, but that was before the -the below-the-belt criticisms. Briefly, Padres. There was a moment of silence for Peter Seidler before San Diego's first spring training game. Seidler, or Seidler, the team's owner and chairman, died in November at age 63. San Diego hosted the Los Angeles Dodgers in Peoria, Arizona, in the only game Thursday. Those teams got an early start because they will open the regular season against each other on March 20th in Seoul, South Korea. The Marlins. According to an AP source, former AAL batting champion Tim Anderson agreed to a one-year contract with Miami. The deal for the shortstop is pending a physical The agreement is worth $5 million, according to ESPN. Anderson is the Marlins' first big free agent addition in the offseason. The Yankees. Alex Verdugo is now with New York after being traded by the Red Sox, but insists he has no hard feelings towards Alex Cora, his former manager, who benched him twice in Boston last year. Verdugo was first benched by Cora on June 8th for not hustling between first and second base on a grounder a night earlier, and again August 5th for arriving late at the ballpark. Tigers. Infielder Gio Urshela agreed to a $1.5 million one-year contract with Detroit, a move that figures to create competition at third base with Zach McKinstry. Matt Veerling and Andy Ibanez. The 32-year-old Colombian hit um, .299 with two homers and 24 RBIs. Runs batted in in 62 games last season for the Los Angeles Angels. 
the Brewers. Gary Sanchez is guaranteed $3 million in his one-year contract with Milwaukee, and he can earn an additional $4 million this season, depending on the condition of his right wrist, and $14 million over two seasons. Diamondbacks. Major League Baseball will produce Arizona's games for the second straight season. The Diamondbacks had their games produced by MLB for the final two and a half months of last season after a federal bankruptcy judge granted a motion for Diamond Sports to reject its rights agreement. Dominican Republic Albert Pujols was hired by manager of Los Los Leones de Escogillo, Guido, a club in the Dominican Republic Professional League. The 44-year-old Pujolis hit 703 homers, fourth most in history, and 22 major leagues over 22 major league seasons, and his 2000. 218 RBIs are the second most all-time, trailing only Henry Aaron. He retired in 2022. And our last paragraph is about South Korea. Hoon Jin-ru is returning to South Korea to play for his former team after pitching 10 seasons in the major leagues. The Hanwha Eagles is the Korean baseball organization, said Thursday that the 36-year-old signed an eight-year contract, and the $12.8 million deal makes him the league's most expensive player. Eddie fuels Purdue's blowout victory. West Lafayette, Indiana. Zach Eddie scored 25 points on near-perfect shooting, Camden Hyde added a career-high 18, and number 3 Purdue routed Rutgers 96-68 to on Thursday night. Eddie, or E-D-E-Y, was 7 of 8 from the field and made 11 free throws without a miss. He also had 7 rebounds. Hyde was 7 for 7 from the field, making four three-pointers after entering the game averaging three points. Lance Jones added 17 points for the Boilermakers, 24-3, 13-3, Big Ten. Jones was 7 of 14 from the field after going 1 of 10 in a 68-60 victory in Rutgers on January 28th. Braden Smith had 13 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. Jeremiah Williams scored 12 points for Rutgers, 14-12, 6-9. And Noah Fernandez had 11. Purdue's biggest lead was 37 at 87-50. Let's take a break from sports and look at the five-day forecast. Today, breezy with clouds and sun. Wind northwest 10 to 20 miles per hour with a high of 49 degrees. Tonight, it's going to have a low of 25 degrees. You're going to have a moonlit sky, though. Wind north-northeast at 6 to 12 miles per hour. On Saturday, 
mostly sunny and milder. Uh, wind is south-southwest, 8 to 16 miles per hour, 59-degree high and a 31 low. On Sunday, it's going to be mostly sunny and mild. Wind east, 6 to 12 miles an hour, 49, 59 high and 37 low. Monday is it's got a 73-degree high and a 42 low, so mostly sunny and warmer. And then Tuesday is going to be cooler, uh, windy in the evening, p.m., wind south-southwest, 10 to 20 miles per hour, a high of 45 degrees and a low of 15 well, here's an article on personal finance. Whether it's a 5% increase or a 20% bump, a pay raise at work is an opportunity to take charge of your financial priorities. A small raise might not seem like much when it's broken down into a bi-weekly paycheck, but over time, that difference in income could provide a boost to your lifestyle or put or be put toward other financial goals. Whether you decide to pay off debt, pad your safety net, invest, give back, improve your quality of life, or treat yourself, a raise is a good time to think about the direction of your financial life. Headline, Keep an Eye on Lifestyle Creep. Many personal finance experts warn against lifestyle creep, which is when you begin to spend more as you earn more, lifestyle creep can take the form of buying more conveniences, like ordering food in more often, or buying more expensive or higher quality items, like sturdier hiking boots or better brand of skincare products. products. If you get a raise and use it to buy a new car or a new home or go out every weekend, your rate of spending might surpass your new income, says Mabel Nunez founder of the Investing Education for Girls on the Money. Nunez says that it's good to reward yourself, but she advises clients to avoid buying more expensive things. Think about an expense that's going to be a one-time purchase or something that's going to make you better, like traveling somewhere new or taking a cooking class. Nunez says, don't spend just for the sake of spending. Once you've looked at your financial situation, you might find that it's not in your best interest to increase your spending on non-essentials. But if you're feeling good about the status of your consumer debt and savings, then you might choose to spend more money on things that will make life more enjoyable. For example, maybe you've been washing dishes by hand because you don't have a dishwasher or yours is broken. You could put part of your raise towards a new appliance that's going to save you a lot of time and energy. Or maybe you've been driving the same car for the past 20 years or living in a too small house with your growing family. If you've planned for the increase costs, an upgrade that brings you increased functionality and comfort is a raise well spent. Another subheadline: focus on high priority goals. 
Liz Carroll, a financial life and wellness coach at Mindful Money Coaches, says that paying off consumer debt with an 8% annual percentage rate or higher should be a top priority, especially if you have more income that you can put toward it. Beyond debt payoff, Carol suggests having a safety net of at least a month's worth of expenses and working toward three to six months' worth. This could be done through reoccurring transfers from your paycheck to your savings account. Give your, give your future a self a share, Carol says. I tell my clients to be mindful and pause before the quick reaction of, I've got a raise, now I can spend money. Instead, you should think, what's in alignment with my values? Investing for retirement is another priority to consider, such as contributing to your 401k to earn any matching funds offered by your employer or putting your money in a Roth IRA. You could also consider an index fund, which allows you to invest in a wide range of stocks all at once. You want money and savings for an emergency, but anything above that that you don't need in the next few years could be invested in a conservative way, like an index fund, Nguyen says. Learn how to invest in a smart way, and it'll get you to the next level of financial life. Subtitle, Treat Yourself and Give Back. Beyond debt, savings, and other future financial planning, Carol says you should feel comfortable celebrating your accomplishments. Just keep in mind that you may want to put up some guardrails around the way you reward yourself so that you can maximize the financial benefits of a raise. Carol says something that equals 5% of a total raise is a good amount to aim for if you want to treat yourself but are also paying off debt. If you don't have debt, she says, 10% of the total raise is a good benchmark. Another thing you may choose to do with your raise is to give back to your community. Whether you donate money to your favorite charity or surprise a loved one with a random act of kindness, it can make you feel good to share your good fortune. More income means having more resources to achieve your goals, by creating a plan for important financial milestones, as well as for fun splurges, you'll get the most out of your money. And here from the entertainment page is an update on the Peanuts characters. Franklin's Time to Shine. The mild-mannered Franklin, the first black character in the Peanuts con comic strip gets to shine in his own animated Apple TV Plus special this month in a story about friendship. Franklin is a newcomer who bonds with Charlie Brown and is welcomed to the Peanuts universe in Snoopy Presents Welcome Home Franklin, which is now streaming. Coast Co-writer Rob Armstrong, the cartoonist behind the Jumpstart strip says he's building on the blueprints that Peanuts creator Charles Schultz left. Whenever you start with good ingredients, you have to work hard to make a bad cake out of it, he says. 
Race is never explicitly mentioned, but Armstrong and co-writer Scott Montgomery make a subtle nod when Franklin surveys the kids in his new town and remarks, one thing was for sure, there was a lack of variety in this place. I never wanted to come off preachy or anything, but it needed to be handled in the same way that I handled it in Jumpstart, says Armstrong. I don't come out and call people anything. I let the characters participate in a problem-solving process. The portrait of Franklin that emerges is of a boy who likes baseball and outer space and is good with his hands and listens to Stevie Wonder, Little Richard, James Brown, and John Coltrane. When he arrives in town, he's tired of a life of constantly moving since his father's military job takes them from location to location. I have lived in a lot of different places, but none that I can call home, he says. But his introduction to the Peanuts gang initially goes poorly. He mistakes Lucy's psychiatric booth for a lemonade stand, and he freaks Linus out by picking a pumpkin from his patch. If I didn't know better, I'd swear I was in the twilight zone, Franklin says. Every time he moves, he had to learn how to make friends quick, and that meant that he didn't feel he could ever be his authentic self, said director story editor Raymond S. Percy. So, when he comes to this town, his normal tricks don't work because these are kind of weird kids. Franklin made his first appearance in the newspaper strip in July, on July 31st, 1968, prompted by a request from a school teacher to Schultz to integrate his comic strip world in the wake of the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King. Schultz introduced him by having Franklin return Charlie Brown's wayward beach ball one day by the sea. It was a historical meeting and a statement. Many public beaches, like other public facilities such as schools, swimming pools, theaters, and restaurants, were segregated at the time. The new Apple TV Plus special recreates that first meeting with Franklin returning Charlie Brown's errant beach ball, and then the two building a sandcastle together. To have this very simple idea of two children who don't know about racism having fun playing at the beach, building something together, I think it was just so smart, said Percy. Franklin and Charlie Brown soon enter a soapbox derby competition, and their friendship is tested before a deep bond is forged. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we can get through the rough spots together as friends, Franklin says. What I really like about the special is that you're getting a chance to see this friendship kind of grow in real time in the way that real friendships do, says Percy, who has directed animated projects with The Simpsons, Mickey Mouse, and The Minions. As usual for Peanuts show, music plays a key role. Original music Uh, by Jeff Morrow, leans into sophisticated jazz and in nods to Franklin, Barry, Johnny B. Good, Nothing But From Nothing by Billy Preston, and some Coltrane playing on a jukebox. 
Armstrong has also used the special to correct some misperceptions about the 1973 classic A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. In that special, Franklin sits by himself on one side of the Thanksgiving table, leading some to suggest he was not being fully embraced. In the new special, Franklin is specifically asked to come sit with his new pals on their side during a pizza party celebration. Armstrong says he started with that scene and then had to figure out how the gang got there. The writers came up with a soapbox derby. We needed something that was very highly action-oriented and packed with great risk. It had to be a competition, Armstrong said. The special has plenty of lessons for kids and adults. Winning isn't everything. Friendships can be messy but rewarding and be your authentic self. What I'd like people to get out of it is that you don't have to be something different for other people. Being yourself is what's going to bring the right people into your lives, says Piercy. Armstrong, who grew up revering Schultz, has a deep connection to Franklin. He became a cartoonist and a friend to Schultz. It was Schultz himself who asked the younger cartoonist if he would lend his last name to the character, So to have him years later spotlight Franklin in a TV special seems almost divine intervention. Sometimes a miracle happens, says Armstrong. If someone's got a better answer, I'd love to hear it. I'm just convinced that sometimes God gets involved, and this is that. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal. I am your reader, Martha Avery. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.
From the Bureau of Economic Geology, this is Earth Date. Here are two trivia questions for you. What's the strongest metal on Earth, and why is it called wolf cream? It was discovered in the 1400s when miners found a hairy black mineral with tin ore. When they smelted the two together, the surface of the melted ore foamed, and a heavy slag consumed much of the tin. They named the mineral wolf for its furry appearance and appetite for tin, and ram, or cream, for the foam, wolfram. In Europe, it's still called that. But elsewhere, it has a name given by a Swedish chemist who found it with iron ore. It was much heavier, so he called it heavy stone. In Swedish, tungsten. After separating the pure metal, he found tungsten was not only a new element, but extremely strong. It's now used today whenever a highly durable metal is required, especially in its even harder alloy form, tungsten carbide. You can find it in household items like the ball in a ballpoint pen. But it has more exotic uses, in x-ray machines, and x-ray resistant aprons, in armor and armor-piercing artillery, in rock drills and tunneling machines, in jet and rocket engines. It won't rust or react to acids. It's a hundred times as abrasion resistant as steel, yet it's easy to recycle. Tungsten, Wolfram, really is a beast of a metal. I'm Scott Tinker. EarthDate is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from EarthX, bringing people together to build a sustainable future at earthx.org. And you can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.